tracking new connections through artistic transformation and international exchange. of purposeful sound practice, the pilgrimage trip, and the rituals of handing down. We explore the essential existence of human beings. Sharing ancestral wisdoms and rooted practices with communities, curators, practitioners, and specialists from around the globe. When I hear the sound of the rabab, my hair stands on end. The haunting sound of the rabab mesmerizes. It's like a weeping human voice that cannot be ignored. It's like an ancient call to you and your spirit to listen to it. The three-string rabab is a traditional Malay instrument that plays the lead in Ma'yong. Ma'yong is a dance drama theatre performance. It is the only Malaysian performing art that was awarded the masterpiece of the Oral and Intangible Heritage of Humanity title by UNESCO in 2005. Why Ma'yong? Ma'yong is a unique performance with ancient Malay rituals and mysticism. And the rabab plays a fundamental role as the leading instrument. According to Mubin Shepherd, a renowned expert in Malay arts, Rabab has close association with the supernatural, notably in the Malay spirit-raising and healing ceremony called Mayan Putri and the Malay dance drama Ma'yong. The Rabab is so important that a Ma'yong performance can only commence after a 20-minute ritual of mengadap Rabab or paying respect to the rabab. Imagine that, paying respect to a musical instrument. Mengadap is a term usually reserved for a respectful posture to adopt by a commoner when meeting a king or queen. At a Ma'yong performance, I have seen myself, Ma'yong dancers, pay respect to the rabab by entering the stage and face the rabab and its player first before commencing. Hai ngaya ilab kita nak timba Timba nak royak sore gajah sebuah Sebuah negi lacik weh Alam 
As one Mak Yong performer said to me, the Rabab is the teacher or guru. Without the Rabab, there will be no Mak Yong. The singer and the musicians will follow the Rabab's lead in every single piece. The Rabab is the master or the guide of the musical piece. In Malay language, it is called Pamur Balagu. ceremony, the Rabab guides. It provides the introduction, background, counter music, mimicking sounds of nature and keeping to the tone of dialogue and singing throughout the performance. The three-string Rabab is accorded the highest prestige amongst all Malay music instruments. Where did it come from? Apparently, it may have been originated in the Near East and ancestor to the bowed lutes in Europe. Research points out to the origin of Rabab to Persia from as early as 8th BC. The astonishing sound of the Rabab resembles the human voice, and this also makes Mak Yong very unique.
rebab apparently has a variable pitch like the human voice and its sound more nearly resembles a nasal hum of a man than the notes of a violin according to an expert and the near prodigal extent of its decoration bears witness of its special status the rebab's voice has also been compared to a woman's weeping voice and the anatomy of the rebab is also named after a woman's anatomy Now this is strange and intriguing. In ancient Malay legends, it is whispered that the skin used in Malay rebabs used to be from the belly of a mother who has died in childbirth of a first son, thus evoking her sad, weeping sounds. This is tragic, but I found this quite mysterious as the sad, weeping voice of the rebab has even inspired and manifested in Malaysian visual arts. A Malaysian artist sculptor, Mad Anwar Ismail, created a sculpture called Pemain Rebab Number no. One, the Rebab Player Number no. One. He was apparently inspired by a vivid ancient tale from Hikayat Merung Mahawangsa. It was about a person crying out in pain under torture when his back is sliced by a sword by an evil creature, and the sound of his sad, weeping voice is compared to that of the sound of the rebab. Nowadays, the skin of the rebab face is made of a cow or a buffalo stomach. However, it has to be soft, thin, and internal part of the belly. Thus, it's not called leather as it's not the outer skin. And it's this thin belly creates the high-pitched, distinctive sound of the rebab. Listen to this unique sound again. What's interesting is that other similar instruments in other cultures are also valued for their human-like tone, a sad weeping voice like the erhu in China, rababa in the Near and Middle East, kamanche in Iran, and rabab in Indonesia and Thailand. There is little recognizable melody in a Mayung song. The soloist is expected to demonstrate her vocal facility and the music from the rebab to accompany the song is an arabesque woven around a melody which is seldom directly stated instrumentally and vocally. It has been compared to ancient near eastern art music not to be found in other forms of southeast asian music. Even the tonal system used in traditional Mayung is different from that in general use in Southeast Asia. And according to Shepherd, it represents a riddle which only a dedicated ethnomusicologist is likely to solve.
apart from the rebab, the bronze gongs, or called tatawap, also serve a ritualistic purpose apart from timekeeping. Prior to the opening of a Yung ceremony, water is placed inside the rim of each gong, according to traditional belief, and during the course of a performance, actors and actresses occasionally dip their fingers into the water, sipping it or applying it to their throats with the belief that it acts as an elixir and will produce a more melodious tune. there is also a form of healing ritual where the community participates and it's called Mayan Tui. It is meant to restore health and emotional well-being of a patient or the community. Although mainly for entertainment, Mayung assigns importance to healing practices closely related to spiritualism. In the ritual of Mayan Tui, the ancient Mayung transforms from being a performance art to a healing art. The Mayung evokes another realm through drama and dance for the ill to escape to where spirits can be restored. In the ancient days of Mayung, the role of dance and drama provided release for pent-up emotions and distress that could manifest into physical illness. The Mayan Tari brings the patient to another realm to release blockages from his vital points in the body or what we call angin, wind. Through rituals incorporating dance, singing and music, the patient's angin is extracted, lifted, released, restoring harmony and balance to the body and mind of the patient. I find this an exceedingly intriguing ritual. This healing uncannily resembles the ancient Indian idea of chakras or energy wheels in the body. The Indians believe that the human body has seven main chakras or energy wheels in the body. These wheels need to vibrate and flow between each other unimpeded in our bodies in order to maintain balance and harmony spiritually and physically. When any of these chakras in us is blocked, the person suffers in mind and body. Healing requires chakras to be unblocked, usually through meditation, yoga and Ayurvedic medicine. The idea of energy wheels in the ancient Indian art of healing sounds remarkably similar to the idea of angin in Mayantari. Chakras are energy wheels that need to be balanced to achieve harmonic resonance. The idea from ancient India is that each chakra has its frequency of vibration, sound, colour and symbol that should be in tune with each other in harmony. When chakra frequencies are affected by life events such as stress, unhealthy thoughts and emotions, disharmony prevails and needs to be rebalanced. The main seven chakras consist of in descending order of the body, the crown, the third eye, throat, heart, solar plexus, sacral and root, each with a different sound frequency. The corresponding Western music notes of each chakra from the top to the bottom are G, F, E, D, C, B, and A. Now, out of curiosity, I tried to compare the rebub sounds using similar Western music notes. 
and the rhubarb strings produce notes of F, C and B flat, which are in chakra healing points, third eye, solar plexus and sacral. Since Mark Jung is a predominantly female energy as well as mystical, I find it a magical coincidence that the chakra notes of the sacred rhubarb seem to be aligned to the nature and healing role of the rhubarb and Mark Jung. The healers in Maintari who are responsible for lifting the angin in an ill person are the intermediaries. In Maintari, Tok Mindo acts as an intermediary for sick people to converse with Tok Putri on behalf of a jambalang, a type of ghost, or Pangoda, a seducer, to solve the patient's problems. Tok Mindo sometimes can play the rabab in Maintari. Sedayong Pakyong, a song in Makyong, is used as a wish for something from the supernatural power. Lyrics include adoration and tales on the origin of the magical power, or the wisher himself or herself, and end with a request. Usually by mentioning his or her own origins, the singer or actor becomes highly spirited. Angkat angin, or loosely translated as mood lifting. The role of the Paran in Ma'yong is to aid the king and fulfill his requests. To protect the king, he is taught Sini Silat Pulut, a type of martial arts, and equip himself on quests the king sent him to, and knowledge of martial arts and shamanism help prepare him. Training in the mystical art of shamanism is an important element in ancient Ma'yong. The knowledge of the dark arts strengthens the Puran's position in his troop. Normally, the teacher will pass down his knowledge of charms and potence to the worthy Puran, used for personal safety as well as for the troop. In Ma'yong, the curtain raising and curtains down have rituals that use shamanistic element as well as maintari. In Maintari, Baran will perform as Tokteri or Tokmindok to administer shamanistic rituals. In Buka Pangong, the opening ritual, Peran Tua, the older Peran, will throw incense at four corners of the stage invoking a spell of protection against evil spirits for the duration of the performance. However, today it is replaced by an Islamic prayer.
Nadab Rabab, it is a sacred element of the performance. And the older Parantua will pay homage to the Rabab, placing it at the center of the stage. In the curtains down segment and in the pre-Islamic era, the performance for the night was closed by incantations to thank the spirits. The essence of the human mind had been taught and investigated in Tibetan Buddhism practice for thousands of years. A glue from Bhutan, Kampo Ujian Wangcho, shared the ancient Tibetan knowledge of body and mind with us, and how some practice could help to reconnect our nature of mind. Full is the channels and chakras, actually. So the mainly we have three channels, and the main channels we call the central channels. The central channels, sometimes we explain the five chakras. Chakra means the wheels, actually. The mainly is a channel, and the chakra means the wheels, different level. Sometimes we explain the seven, the most time is just five. Crown chakra, throat chakra, and the heart chakra and navel chakra and the sacred chakras the five level of the chakras we explained it and each chakras it has the like a branch you know channels thousands of the branch channels that means our body inside the body is the full of the channels 72,000 different kind of channels is working in the, our body we say that
and then in that in that chakras the even the big or the main or the the, the branch chakras 72000 different chakras in that chakras moving that wind energy which is sound sound wind energy is the inseparable actually right now a sound is coming it but is the wind energies if there is no wind no sound so definitely sound and the wind is the inseparable in the our body actually in that channels moving that wind energies all this full of the 72000 channels that moving the wind energy which is the sound Lots of Tibetan Buddhism teachings and chanting mention about prana, the wing energy. By practicing the mantra, meditation, and the visualization, negative energy in the ordinary channel will be purified and turned into the wisdom channel. In China, the essence of the body, called Bindu, will appear through chanting. Prana also means qi, Will circulate all the wisdom channels and bindu without any obstacle while breathing. If a person can perfectly complete those practice and master the wind energy, he or she can even fly. Kampo says an ancient master could transform themselves into different forms with prana. They could even understand animals' sounds or hear sounds from different words. Banan has ways of interacting and communicating with the sounds from the jungle. Sounds from the jungle guiding them in their daily routine. For Banan, the jungle is always alive and is a living jungle. It is a playground like a home backyard to them. Sounds in the jungle can tell time and season. There's a period of time in the jungle producing sounds indicating the day is waking up. And there's also a period of time in the jungle producing sounds indicating the dark is approaching. At around 5 to 6 a.m. every day, our human defined time, when the surroundings seems in silent mood. All of a sudden, the jungle wakes up with a beautiful orchestra of nature, birds calling, insects calling that's so loud, so sharp, 
that you won't miss it by waking up with this jungle alarm. Then this is the start of the day for the bananas actively involved in different active stations. Some collecting rattan or firewood, some collecting game meat or vegetables. Everybody has something to do during the day. When the days start to get dark, at around 5 to 6 p.m., human defying time, another round of jungle orchestra starts, which marks the end of the day and time for everybody gets back to the rest station to rest for the day. Outside of the jungle, villages in Barrio, it is blessed that we still hear the sounds of Nigers. Marking it is getting dark, time to go home. It sounds every day without fail. It is pretty much part of daily life indicator for the people in Barrio, especially among the rice farming community. to the jungle, but none also can tell if it is a dry season or the raining season is coming. If it is a dry season, then banan can roam further. If it is the raining season, the banan usually will stay where they are for some time. They will hear the sound of the bird chak 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 to indicate rain is coming. The bird sounds sometimes in the jungle. It is trying to indicate that we are going to have visitors soon or animals nearby. Banan follow these jungle clouds that we slowly forget with the creation of watches, technologies that can turn the times to our conveniences. And with the diminishing natural habitat, the jungle clock is slowly forgotten. Put ourselves in the jungle for 24 hours. Listen, be part of the jungle to pick up again what nature is trying to interact with us. Till we immerse ourselves into it, the orchestra of the natural clock can be revived in realizing the wisdom of the indigenous. If one day, when we walk into the jungle, and the jungle no longer gives us the natural clock. Then something we can think about. What has happened to this jungle? Something not balanced? Something is missing? Or something human disconnected with what nature tells us? Precision with the technology proves that technology that we have can tell everything, can do everything. While forgetting, even before time, Nature has ways to communicate, interact with humans.
the Kayans in Kenya are among the many several indigenous communities that reside in the central highlands of Borneo, both in Kalimantan, Indonesia, and Sarawak, Malaysia. We're we're sibling sibling communities or sibling tribes. At some point in history, we separated. I think, put it in a general sense, it said that the prince or the princess they became the Kayan and the other one became the Kenya when they separated somewhere long, very long time ago. Gongs or percussions. Um, there are a few different melodies to it. This um, this are usually used for um, different purposes. One is um, that we call pagan. It's basically a melody of it's a melody of celebration. And whenever you hear this, you know that like, oh, um, somebody at the other end of the longhouse is calling for us to to go over. It's a sort of reminder. Um, I mean, earlier on, I'd already have a gathering to talk about, oh, we're going to do this, we're going to do that, we're going to need everyone's help, right? So there are a few prominent sounds um, that we use. There, there are probably some more other, other melodies of the gongs or tawak, we call it. purpose of, of uh, the instruments in our in our communities a lot of times comes down to something that's practical and functional and um, I don't think anyone really thought about the melodic experience necessarily but it was more about like how can one communicate this message to the entire village uh, based on how a particular beat even you know how a particular beat sounds and um, depicting somber moods or celebration, you know, they're different, different sounds. In the Kenya community, from what I understand, the, the talk was also used to announce a birth. So like I was saying, like, not just the death, they're also announcing things that are more celebratory, the nobles or the aristocrat level of society, well, within the Kenya context anyway. In the days of um, you don't have digital technology, or you don't have technology for that matter, to tell someone that, hey, um, there has been a death in, in, in the next village, or this is the birth of someone, this is the method that, you know, you could be a couple of kilometers away and you can still kind of hear uh, the, the, the sound of the gongs. Thank you.
dakhulit. So dakhulit would be it would probably be almost common then when it's um, a head hunting period or when somebody passed away. Yeah, hulit basically means emergency. A many kind of emergency, be it an enemy raid, an ambush, or whatever it is, or, or death of anyone basically in the village. Um, so yeah, it's quite eerie when you get to listen to it <laughs> live. You know what it is um, if if you're aware of how how it sounds. The other day, when my foster mother in Kalimantan passed away, when I was calling. One of my friends there, they, they were the neighbor because their house, their house now, because they, um, they got burned down last time, so they're living in individual houses now. So when I called, the, um, my, my friend's mom um, answered the phone and I heard, I knew this, I knew this duck so, so well. I was like, oh my God, so it's real, you know? So in, in, in some sense, the phone, <laughs> our phone is also a communication device and then to listen to that, It's it's like a double intercommunication um, device, uh, I guess, a connection. And you you listen um, through your phone what they're telling you, and you listen actually the background, the sound of that hulit going up. And the other one, I think, much rarer these days. Only probably one or two villages I've seen having it um, called the tuwong, the long drum. I think it's um, sadly a really... I don't really use the word dying when it comes to, you know, um, music or traditions, but this one is really um, dying in, in in every sense of the word because um, one thing it's heavily associated with the old religion, which somehow our community doesn't, um, some, some of us, not all of us, um, doesn't really condone something like that. Yeah, the only one I saw to Wong was, um, oh, no, 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 two, two actually, one in... Um, Umablor and one in Manjuman, um, and they're still they're still usable, and they use it during celebrations, which was amazing. So that was the first time I saw that here, and the other time was in Kalimantan when they played it. In the Kenyan community, uh, from what I was told, it was primarily used as part of the the old old religion uh, rituals, you know, and. Um, There are very few people who are still aware on on how to use it for that purpose, obviously. And this was the the precursor of the sape as the healing instrument. It's a evolution from from the purpose of of this this big long drum. And uh, the story is that a spirit came to uh, one of the shamans and saw that. The use of this long drum in healing uh, kind of limited the lo- location and the number of people it can it can reach, and kind of instructed the the shaman to to construct this other instrument, this boat lute instrument that could serve the same purpose for healing, and therefore the long drum was then kind of put aside um, in order to to utilize this sape which is more mobile and more practical and you can go uh, the the shaman can can take it anywhere basically
as we are now moving into the 21st century, I think it's about how we then honor these parts of our culture. We're in an age where you send a text message to inform someone of a death or, or a birth. But in this context, like, uh, does that mean the practice of using the, the talak or, or any of the other instruments, the gongs, um, will, uh, will just fade into the background? And then what happens uh, to, to where these aspects of our sound practices move into next? Some of the work that we've been trying to do is to always be able to contextualize the, the original purpose because not a lot of people even remember uh, what it is for because there was a lot of movement, a lot of uh, migration from, from, the, from our rural villages down into urban centers. And not a lot of people even get to experience um, the announcements made by gongs, you know? So it was very rare, even for myself, um, to experience that. So I think it comes down to how we're able to still to take a step back to understand what, what the purpose and the use of the instruments were, uh, and then how can we then honour that in, in our practice today. I think that's, that's something that's very key um, for our communities. Yeah.